seated again. Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work. We are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. And it is a joy to see you guys here this morning. If you um, have not grabbed some of the resources we have for you, we have our discipleship guide that helps you walk through the book of Daniel, which is what we're going to be in all fall. We also have a scripture journal from Crossway that just is uh, able to, to have the book of Daniel uh, ready for you to take notes and kind of your, your thoughts or reflections as you're reading it. And then, uh, like I said, for, for big kids and for little kids and everybody in between, uh, uh, we got our, our weekly coloring sheet. Uh, I want to highlight that this one uh, allows you to apparently draw selfies of Nebuchadnezzar before his dream, during his accumulation, and after his restoration. So we're just doing what we can. Maybe you're a kid and don't have a social media account. This is your gateway drug for that. So we're super glad to uh, have this resource from Kerry uh, Ronk putting that together. Um, if you would, turn your Bibles to um, Daniel chapter 4. That's where we're going to be today in our series, Life in exile, life for eternity. Um, and and as, you, as you turn there, as you grab that scripture journal, as you flip open your app, uh, I will tell you, I'm super glad that the Mariners won yesterday, in part because if any of you are baseball fans, during this sermon, you'd be like, like, like keeping up with the score as it was happening if they had a game today. And like, there might be like an amen that's spontaneous that doesn't make sense right? You know, or like a, oh, weeping and gnashing of teeth. And it's like, no, this was, this was good news today, not bad news. So uh, excited for that. As we go to Daniel 4, um, I want to catch you up in the story, right? God's people have been led into exile. There was a Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar who was very uh, intentional about integrating God's people into Babylon uh, through like a really awesome uh, and challenging assimilation program. He was then given this vision from God of how great his kingdom is, but also uh, how temporary it would be and how all of human history is leading to a place where King Jesus rules and reigns over all creation uh, for eternity. And, and in the midst of that, you're thinking, okay, this would lead him to a little bit of humility. Only we saw last week in chapter three that instead of making the statue that shows multiple kingdoms, he made a statue that showed his kingdom from head to toe of gold and said, if you don't worship it, you're going to get torched. And we saw three men who'd been brought into exile, who were involved in the Babylonian government because they were exiles and had been given this position of authority, say, we will not bow to the direction of this government or this culture. We're going to remain faithful to not worship that which isn't God. And instead, our God will save us. But if he doesn't, he's still God. And we saw that we believe that maybe Jesus met them in the fire. We know for sure that, that God's uh, presence was in the fire with them. They were saved from that. Nebuchadnezzar ends kind of that, that chapter with, with a bit of like, hey, your God's pretty amazing. Like, I mean, I know there's still lots of gods. Any God, all, all, the, all roads lead to the same place, very pluralistic. He's like, but your God's pretty cool. And you're like, wow, Nebuchadnezzar might be a bit in process, but but... Regardless of that, the dude's just an evil dude, 
right? I mean, like, like you, we, we've read through this, and he's, he's willing to, to, to kill um, his highest-ranking authorities uh, in his country. He's ready to torch anybody that doesn't agree with him. And even at the end of chapter 3, he's like, hey, if anyone says anything bad about the God of the Bible, you're, you, like, we're going to destroy your family. Restore your house. It's like Sharia law for Bible study or something like that. It's, it's, it's just, it, like, it just still didn't have uh, even an ounce of humility in it. And so as we get into chapter 4, I want you to ask yourself, what keeps us, what keeps us from communion with God? What keeps us from faithfulness with God? And, and then also I want you to ask yourself, because maybe you feel like you're an insider today. Hey, I've grown up in church my whole life. I'm one of the good people, or I, I've, I've trusted Jesus my whole life. Like, my, my faith is in him. But, but man, that Nebuchadnezzar, gosh, I wish he got torched, right? Who is it that you believe is beyond redemption? Maybe it's a type of person. Maybe it's a member of a political party. Maybe it's just an Oregon Duck fan because it's like they're insufferable. Can't stand them. That's me, right? I want all of Eugene to just burn and start over, okay? That's where I'm at. That's where I'm at. I'm just a sad Husky fan, okay? Who is irredeemable? And I would submit to you that to our point up in Daniel, there's been few people less redeemable than Nebuchadnezzar. And that leads us to chapter 4 that is really a royal epistle, a, a, a letter that Nebuchadnezzar put out to the entire empire of Babylon. This was a governmental statement. What we're going to read here is a religious statement. So apparently Nebuchadnezzar didn't respect the separation of church and state. Because what we see here, I think if you think about just where he's been, it should blow your mind just a little bit. Daniel chapter 4. We're going to start in verses 1 through 18. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. Let's stop for just a second. Like I said, imagine this coming out from the White House or the Kremlin or from Beijing right now. That's what this was. A national proclamation from an emperor of the largest, most powerful nation the earth had seen at that point about his allegiance to the God of the Bible. How did that happen? We're going to see in these next verses. Verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. I saw a dream that made me afraid. As I lay in bed, the fancies, the visions of my head alarmed me. So I made a decree that all the wise men of Babylon should be brought before me, that they may make known to me the interpretation of the dream. Then the magicians, the enchanters, the Chaldeans, the astrologers came in, and I told them the dream, but they could not make me known uh, its interpretation. At last, Daniel came before me, who was named Belteshazzar, in the name of my God, in whom the spirit of the holy gods, I'm sorry, in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that 
the spirit of the holy gods is in you, that no mystery is too difficult for you. Tell me the visions of my dreams that I saw their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. The tree grew and became strong and its top reached to heaven and was visible to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it. The birds of the heavens lived in its branches and the flesh was fed from it. 13, I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed and behold, a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, chop down the tree, lop off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's. Let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Sorry, that's a mouthful. I should probably have a glass of water before we keep going. Okay, so what, what's happening here? Um, this, the title of this book, right, is called Daniel. And for sure, Daniel uh, is involved in, in many of the chapters of this book. And certainly the, the last seven chapters are visions that God gave to Daniel in particular. But I believe, after going through it this fall, <coughs> that the primary character, if you will, Besides God, of course, in any book of the Bible. But the primary character from chapters 1 through 4 is not, in fact, Daniel, because like, he's not even in last chapter. I believe the primary character is, in fact, Nebuchadnezzar. That the first four chapters of this book have, have been, been showing us a trajectory of a man who came in with great pride, great pomp, great circumstances, and how the God of the Bible brought him to great humility for the purposes of his restoration and the flourishing of his people. And so this is the last chapter that we're going to see, Nebuchadnezzar. We saw in chapter 1 that he was granted victory over Israel. He had he said that God gave him the victory, that, that the exiles were brought in, right? Um, that, that he had this dream of this eternal kingdom. We've talked a little bit about that. And where we are in chapter four here is about 30 to 40 years into Nebuchadnezzar's reigns and about that same time frame with Daniel. So we're talking Nebuchadnezzar, like he, he's been rolling for three or four decades as the, the king, ruler, most high of Babylon. And Daniel has been a man who's been in exile for 30 or 40 years working for his captor. And in this, he comes to this place where he's given this 
dream where, where last week, uh, chapter 3, he brought all nations and peoples and tongues to come worship his big statue of himself or of his kingdom. And now he's sending a proclamation out to the entire known world saying, yeah, there's one God and it's not me. There's one God and he lasts from generations to generations. There's one God and he is almighty. I mean, it's such an amazing confession of faith. I mean, you might be like, I don't, I don't know, like Nebuchadnezzar, you sound a bit like a Christian nationalist. Like, how, how, why are you saying something like this? You're not supposed to say the quiet part out loud that, that Jesus is really king over all nations. How did he get there? Well, he gets there and he says, hey, God is good and let me tell you why. So everything you're reading about this account is from Nebuchadnezzar's perspective. He's like, this is like him laying out his testimony, if you will, how God worked in his life. Let me tell you what the most high God, he says, has done for me. This is such, it's a personal faith that he has. He says, let me tell you about God's power, his kingdom, right? The signs and wonders, the specific ways, and it was all for a purpose, and that purpose was to lead Nebuchadnezzar from a place of pride to a place of humility. He's done a mighty work, God has, of humbling Nebuchadnezzar, and as we've been reading about this guy for three chapters now, you're like, that's pretty amazing. Like, it's amazing that the guys didn't burn up in the furnace last week, but like, that's at least like a miracle that's in our realm of like, yeah, God showed up and they didn't burn. But like, King Nebuchadnezzar going from prideful to humble, that might actually seem like a bigger miracle. In fact, I believe in the condition of our hearts. Anytime our hearts move from a place of pride to a place of humility, that's a work of the Holy Spirit. That's a miracle of God to do that. Because our default is not humility, our default is, is pride. And so, how did it happen for Nebuchadnezzar? What was his trajectory? Well, first of all, things were going really well. Like, really, really well. It says, I was at ease in my palace, and I was prospering. Right? Isn't that the dream? To be both at ease and prospering? Um, one of my kids, uh, uh, a couple months ago, was like, hey, Dad, um, we need passive income. Have you heard of that, Dad? We should get some passive income. And I was like, yeah, that'd be pretty fantastic. If you got a beat on some, let me know, right? Everybody wants to like, yeah, I'm just gonna kick back. The bank account grows. And in this case, it's not just Nebuchadnezzar's bank account. The nation was doing great. Gas was 225 a gallon. It was amazing in Babylon. There was peace, it says. There was no war in Ukraine. Like it was just, like, like there was nothing to fear. I mean, except the fact that Babylon didn't worship the God of the Bible who made everything. Like, I think some of us would actually trade that. Like, we'd be like, well, I don't really care if we're godly if, as long as, like, just I'm prosperous and at ease. I mean, prosperous and at ease doesn't really seem like a place that's going to lead to a lot of humility, right? Because when we're full, when we're fat and happy, when things are sometimes going well, we start to actually believe that, that we had a lot to do with why things are going well in my life. My kids are doing awesome. Well, that's clearly because of me. Right? Oh, things are going awesome in, in, in my church, or things are going awesome in my job or my business. Well, we all know who the hero is there, right? It's, just, it's so easy to get there. And so 
His kingdom was great. It's at peace. And, and not only, he's accomplished great things as a builder. We might have a picture of his palace in the Hanging Gardens. I think we, we do. And if we do, we can put it up there. Um, that This was actually one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. This was his palace. Like, that's, that's way better than just you stringing some of those lights from Costco in your backyard and being like, look at my cool outdoor space, right? Amazing, beautiful. And, and so he's up there, and he's like, this is so good. And, and like, you would imagine if you got to this place and space in your life that you would be satisfied, only what happened was his soul was, was still empty, at night, he was troubled by some dreams. He was not in a place uh, of ultimate fulfillment. In fact, it says he was actually distressed. And you start to read about the dream, and you're like, yeah, I mean, I kind of I get why. Like, like the last, and so he's like, I need, I need to know what this dream means. And, and, and in chapter two, when he had a dream, he threatened to kill all of his leaders if they didn't tell him the interpretation and the dream. Well, here we are 20, 30, 40 years later. He's mellowed out a bit. And he's like, hey, Chaldeans, magicians, enchanters, I, I know you guys don't really know anything anyway, so I'm just going to throw you a bone. I'm going to tell you the dream, and, and could you just tell me what it means? I mean, like I said, j- just break it down. Tell me it means my parents screwed me up. Tell me, you know, tell me it means that, you know, really I've got a, something inside me that just needs to be set free, right? Like, just, just tell me whatever it needs to, so that I can, I can get some rest and I can have some understanding because I'm having a really hard time enjoying my hanging gardens right now. And what I think is interesting about this is he's searching for answers again in the empty well. I mean, he's already been down this road. He's already, he's already tried to get answers from these guys back in chapter two, only to be completely not just disappointed, but defeated about it. And so, like, we do this all the time, right? It's like going back to the refrigerator, and you're like, there's still nothing good in it, but we keep going back to it over and over, thinking that maybe this is the time that I'm going to see something else besides just, like, shredded cheese. I guess if you had a tortilla, you got a quesadilla, so that's, not, that's something, Right? We go back to these empty wells that haven't worked for us in the past. When, like, and they, 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 they don't know anything. They're like, King, we don't, we don't really know what this dream is about. And if you were listening as I described the dream, it's more like, 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 could they not tell him about the dream? Or would they not tell him about the dream? I mean, think about his dream for a second, right? It's this, it's this big tree, tree of life. It's going great. It gets chopped down. All of a sudden, it's this stump, but then it starts being talked about like it's a person. It ends up like as just this beastly individual. And then like, gosh, I wonder what the point of all that was. This dream actually had a narrator. Like, how many times have you woken up with a weird dream and be like, what was that about? Wouldn't it be nice in your dream if in the dream, like, hey, by the way, this means it's time for you to, like, like go to school and, 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 like, make something of yourself. Or this is the time for you to make a big change. Or this is the time for you to, to settle in, to plug in, to go deep. Wouldn't that be great? Like, Nebuchadnezzar actually had that. It said the purpose of all of this would be so that everyone would know that the Most High God rules over not just this nation of Babylon, but all nations, and he gives it to like, it says, the lowliest of people. 
How would you feel? You're, you're like, I'm Nebuchadnezzar, conquered Israel, conquered a whole bunch of other places, made that totally awesome joint, um, you know, that is now one of the seven wonders of the world. And, and then you hear in your dream, by the way, you're one of the worst people around. Like, that was the point. To bring him to a place of humility. And yet, the Chaldeans, the magicians, his, like, kind of, kind of temple court, if you will, uh, were like, we don't know what it means. Are you going to tell him? I don't want to tell him. It's really obvious. Like, sometimes we're like, I wonder what God's will for my life is. Well, it's to repent of sin, to trust him as your savior, to walk in faithfulness, to think like of others and, and to worship God and to worship, to, to love people. Like, Sometimes it's really, really simple. I'm like, I don't know. I feel like that's really complex. Maybe God could give me some clear direction. Gosh, I just wish Jesus would have told us like, and there's like 10 commandments. It seems like a lot, Jesus. Could you just like tell us maybe one or two that are like kind of like the big, the main you know, bullet points? He's like, yeah, I love God, love people. Oh. But I mean, but I don't know. Have you met people? I don't like people. And God, I mean, I, I like the God I see in the mirror every day. I like it when things rotate around me. You want me to have an others orientation? Oh, that might cost me something. In this case, for the Chaldeans, I think, like, they're probably a little, like, rightly frightened. Like, some of those guys probably remember 20 years ago when when he threatened to murder them and their whole families. And so here we are, it's dream time, we hear the dream like we said, and this tree's attractive, it's, it's protective, it's provisional, it's strong and beautiful, has food for all, the economy's great. And then a watcher from heaven comes down and proclaims judgment. Actual judgment. And we don't like that. And the dream gets weirder because like we said, it, the stump's face has changed from a man to a beast to a wild animal for, for, it says seven periods of time. Seven in the Old Testament usually means a number of completion. So it means like, hey, you're gonna be a beast for like an extended period of time until God has finished working in you. To the end it says that the living may know the most high rules the kingdoms of men and gives it to whom he wills. See, I bet, I bet Nebuchadnezzar knew what it meant too. I'm just guessing. And maybe he's hoping against hope that somebody will tell him it's not as bad as you think it is. Actually, no, you're, pretty, you're a pretty awesome person. It's, it's everybody else's fault. It's everybody else's fault that you're jacked up. It's everybody else's fault that you're upset right now. You don't take ownership over any aspect of your own life. It's everybody else's fault. See, sometimes God speaks so simply, we know what it means, we just don't want to acknowledge the consequences of it. Hey, this is the time for you to be generous. Hey, this is the time for you to turn away from sexual sin. Hey, this is the time for you to be more loving and kind with your kids. I don't know what it is for you, but I bet if you asked right now, God, what do you, what do you want to change in me? I think most of us would probably respond with, well, okay, anything but that. And so he, he finally brings it to Daniel, and we, we get to see how Daniel responds and engages with it here in verses 19 through 27, because the Chaldeans, they were just kind of worthless. They didn't tell him anything. And so he comes to Daniel. 
who as he like, he gives this intro about Daniel, right? right? Nebuchadnezzar is telling the whole nation, like you might know this guy named Belteshazzar, but really his, his given name is Daniel. And this is a guy who in the past, I felt like had some, some, someone from the holy gods in it. Like he's still starting pluralistic in how he describes Daniel and how he describes faith at that point. He's a guy that's in, in process. And then he gets to Daniel. He's like, Daniel, you gave me the answer before. Can you give me the answer this time? And Daniel says this in verses 19 through 27. Part three, compassionate clarity. 19 through 27. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, was dismayed for a while. And his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or the interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my Lord, may the dream be for those who hate you. And it's interpretation for your enemies. The tree which you saw, which grew and became strong, so that its top reached the heaven, and it was visible to the ends of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant, and who was which food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and whose branches the birds of the heaven lived. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, come down from heaven, saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts of the field till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king, it's a decree from the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men. Your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven. And seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as I was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness, your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. So Daniel's breaking it down. He hears the dream. Daniel hears the dream for the first time, and he's like, this is really obvious. And, and he's like, I don't, I don't want to tell him what's going on. I, again, just like Daniel and the other Chaldeans, like, like he knows the king can be a bit of a hothead. He's also contemplating the fact, I work for this king. The interpretation of this dream is that he's going to be cast out from among humanity. He's going to live like a beast of the fields. Like that, that, That's not going to be good probably for anybody. Things don't go well when there's not good leadership in any way, shape, or, or form. And so he's like, uh-oh. And furthermore, if I tell him this, he, he might just, I mean, he might, he might light that fire again, throw me in the furnace. They hadn't done the lion's den thing yet. That's kind of chapter six. And so there's a pause. He's wrestling with this. And the king assures him, no, no, Daniel, it's okay. You, you can tell me. I, I'm ready for it. 
Like, like, like I've got my, I got, I got my helmet on, I got my armor on, I'm ready, you can just hit me with it the best you got. And, and in this, in Daniel's response, even in his wrestling for this, I want us to see that Daniel has a love for lost people. See, that, that's a term we don't like to use very much, right? Because we, we do believe that, that all people are made in the image and likeness of God and worthy of dignity and honor and, and respect. And, and we don't want to be like, well, there's, there's the good people and the bad people. That's not what we're saying. But there's those who acknowledge rightly that there's a God who created all things and has made us for relationship with him and for one another. And then there are those who, who are spiritually lost who might think that they are on the right path, but they are in fact wandering on a path of destruction. And Daniel has a heart for the lost. And for us here at Mercy Fellowship, we better have a heart for the lost. And so when I asked you uh, on the front end of this, like who is somebody that is irredeemable? Like, like usually it's our enemies or somebody we don't like, like I said, right? But maybe it's just somebody that's in your life do you see the trajectory of their life and you know it's not moving towards greater faithfulness to the Lord, but it's moving away from that. Or maybe it's somebody that you've been friends with or a member of your family who's just so prideful and obstinate and will never acknowledge that there's somebody greater than them. Or maybe it's somebody who's been hurt or harmed and, and their, their shame, their pain has, has just led to a bitterness that has separated them from everybody else. And all they can see is their pain, and they can't see that there's a God that's there ready to, to take their shame, to endure pain for them so that they can live a new life. And I want you to think about Daniel for just a moment. I mean, Daniel's story, he got ripped away from his parents as a teenager. He was going to be forced to eat all this stuff that was going to defile him. He, he watched uh, like his entire class of people that he was working for get threatened with genocide. He heard about his three friends getting thrown into the furnace, all by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar is the one who took all of the holy vessels from God's temple in uh, Jerusalem, took them out and placed them in storage for him to say, I am a greater God than the God that was worshipped over here. If you're hearing this dream and you're Daniel, can we just be honest for a second? And most of us don't have the heart of Daniel. And some of us would be like, are you kidding me? Or, wait. The guy who's been imprisoning me for 40 years is about to go full furry and be stuck out in the wilderness and is gonna be eating of the grass in the field. He's gonna be cast out from humanity. Let's go. Like that is what we would think. Justice is finally happening. I've been praying and praying and praying for those evil rulers to get out so we can get the right people in. And instead, Daniel has a heart for his enemies that mirrors the heart of our Lord Jesus. Where he has compassion. Compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. Really? Compassion for Putin? Compassion for Xi Jinping? I don't, is that, I think that's how you say it. Compassion for, for Trump or for Biden? Really? Yeah. He's been praying for his enemies. He's been praying that God would do a mighty work in Nebuchadnezzar's life. And so Daniel's like, I, let, 
like he even talks to Nebuchadnezzar in a way that Nebuchadnezzar doesn't understand, right? He's like, oh, king, of, you know, king, let this be for your enemies and not for you. I, I, I don't want to see you humiliated. I mean, I wish you were humble, but I don't want to see you humiliated. Nobody should have to go through what I saw in this dream. Like, we're people, we're not animals. He's got compassion for Nebuchadnezzar. Daniel loves someone who's easy to hate. Let us at Mercy Fellowship, let us as the church, beyond these walls and, and all the churches here in Snohomish County and beyond, let us be people who love those who are easy to hate for the purposes of their redemption, their salvation, their restoration. And so Daniel starts to break down uh, the dream. Like I said, I think he's been praying for his enemy. I think we need to be people who pray for our enemies and opponents. When you get, sorry, when you get somebody who's just upsetting you or you hear something on the news or you can't believe things are going that way, rather than posting about it, I think we should pray about it. I think something happens in our hearts when we pray for our enemies, when we pray for our opponents. At the very least, it keeps us from bitterness. At the very most, it, it helps align our hearts to God's heart for people who, let's just be clear, because of sin, we're all God's enemies. He makes us friends. He makes us citizens. He makes us part of the family through a pursuit of us. And so, Daniel starts with a dream. We've got to get into it. It starts with good news. Hey, you're the great tree. Hey, that sounds great. Big tree of life. Wouldn't that be awesome if that was your role, right? That God is good. He's given you all things. And, and he's like saying, hey, you've protected people. You've fed people. All of that. And, and what's even amazing about that is that God does, does and can empower even pagan kings, even people who don't love and serve Jesus at all, to bless humanity with a, with a common grace. Right, like we don't usually ask the doctrinal statements of like, like my wife and I just flew to Denver. When I got on the plane, I wasn't just like, hey, can you give me like a quick theology that you have around things? No, I just wanted to know if he's a good pilot. Or at the very least, he knows how to press the button on the computer for the computer to be a good pilot, right? Like God uses all sorts of people to bless all sorts of people. And in this, there's good news but yet as we saw in this dream, right, there's also humiliation. In fact, as much as Nebuchadnezzar brought Israelites into his country as exiles, Nebuchadnezzar is going to actually suffer an exile. It says he's going to be driven away from, from, from the presence of other people. He's going to be kicked out of, of where? The garden he made. I mean, this is mirroring the story of humanity that where, where God placed us in a garden kingdom at the beginning of the Bible. And then in our pride, we said, no, no, we can do better than God. We don't have to listen to God. We can know good and evil. We can be captains of our own soul. We can, we can plot our own narrative. And in that pride came separation from God. And humanity was rightly exiled from that garden. Because when we walk in pride... It becomes beastly before God. 
And so humanity's exiled, there's shame, there's toil, there's indignity. See, God is the highest judge in the place, in everywhere. And yet we think that we know better. And so Daniel's just being clear in his interpretation that pride is a sin, and that sin indeed has consequences. And you're like, wait, what do you mean sin has consequences? I mean, I feel like when Nebuchadnezzar took over Israel, that was sinful, right? Probably an unjust war. Why didn't he, why didn't he like, get, get turned into a cow then? Like, wait, what about when he, you know, was like threatening to kill all the governmental officials? Like, I mean, that's for sure. Like, you know, Jesus said, if you have hate in your heart, it's like murder. This guy was like literally planning murder. Like, what about when he just set up this massive statue for idolatry? Like, couldn't God have humbled him then? Sometimes God acts quickly. Sometimes God acts slowly. And it's for a purpose. When we see God act slowly to bring justice, the purpose of it is to drive those who are unjust into repentance, turning from sin, turning from pride to humility. We see that in 2 Peter 3.9 says, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, patient towards me, not wishing that any should perish, but they all should reach repentance. That's the purpose we're seeing in God's slowness in Nebuchadnezzar's story that, that, that spans decades. I mean, we're like, hey, I met somebody. Man, they don't know the Lord. Maybe you felt really, really bold. And you're like, hey, you should trust Jesus. And they're like, eh. And you're like, okay, well, I tried. For Nebuchadnezzar, again, we're talking decades of process. Decades of moving from a place of pride to a place of humility to a place of repentance. Because God's hope, he says, is repentance. A restored life. And there's even hope in the dream because when the tree gets cut down, the stump remains. Like a stump like, might seem like death, but a stump is actually a potential for new life. I believe it's in Isaiah where it talks about um, the Holy One being cutting down and only, only a stump remaining, and that stump is referring to Jesus. Yeah, in Isaiah chapter 6, it talks about that. A stump is actually a hope for new life. And so, he's, Daniel's giving him some counsel, and that's what I love. If you look real quick at verse 27 before we move on, it says in verse 27, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins, practice righteousness and your iniquities, and show mercy to the oppressed. Like, like Daniel's like, here's the dream. You're gonna get humiliated. King, here's my counsel. He goes one step further. He says, you need to repent of sin. The path you're going down will lead to humiliation. But there's hope. He's saying, king, you don't have to be humiliated, but you do have to be humble. You don't have to be humiliated, but you do have to be humbled. And so we're going to see in these next verses how Nebuchadnezzar responds, but I mean, yeah, I mean, sure, like, I'm, 
Gosh, you're just kind of hoping, like, this is the moment. He's heard the dream. He's seen the vision. He's right there. He's got Daniel. Daniel's like, hey, I'm going to put my hand on you. We're going to pray a prayer together. You're going to accept Jesus into your heart right now. We're going to go run down the aisle. You're going to get baptized. You're going to be leading a small group here in just a little while, right? In fact, I got a small group of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You can come on Tuesday nights. We do brownies. Um, well, no, we don't. We just do vegetables and water. We've been doing that for 40 years, okay, right? Wouldn't that be amazing if this was the moment when God made it clear to Nebuchadnezzar for him to repent, for him to trust Jesus, that's not what happens. Here's what actually happens. Verse 28 through 33. This is referring to the dream we just heard about. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, it's not this great Babylon which I've built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You shall be driven from among men. You shall dwell with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat the grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. Immediately, the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men, ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird claws. Couldn't he have just like done the altar call at the beginning? I don't know where you're at in your spiritual journey right now. I don't know if this is the day that you need to trust Jesus for the first time. My hope and prayer for you, if, if you're even like on the fence or you're not sure where I stand, that you would humble yourself before God and receive his mercy and grace. I don't know what the next day has for you. I don't know what the next 12 months has for you, but the Lord does. I don't know what the next decades has for you, but the Lord does. I do know that our days end and then we are met by our creator and, he, and, and we will face a judgment like the totality of our lives will be presented before God. And our only hope is not that somehow this day you started to get it right and hopefully you got enough years going the right way to outdo the years of the bad way. Your only hope is that you say, wretched sinner that I am, I have received mercy and grace because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross in my place. He has suffered for my pride. He's been humiliated on the cross in my place. And he rose again so that I can have new life now and forever. Quite simply, I don't deserve eternity with you, God. But you've given me mercy and grace because you sent Jesus in my place. That's our only hope. That's our only hope. And for Nebuchadnezzar, he had the dream. It was distressing. Daniel gave him the interpretation. Daniel told him, this is your day to repent. And the king's like, I'll think about that for a while. And we've all been there, right? Like, maybe you'll leave this sermon, you, you know, uh, and you'll be like, you know what, I, I, I'm going to chew on that for a bit, and then tomorrow's going to come, and you're going to get distracted, and something's going to move you away from focusing on the God who made you. 
Maybe you've been to a church camp at some point or a youth camp or something. There's this big, like, emotional moment. Yes, this is my day. I, they prayed for me. But, like, really, most of your life after that hasn't looked anything like somebody who follows the Lord. We don't know what the next 12 months look like for Nebuchadnezzar, but we do know at the end of 12 months, he's back up on the palace at ease, prospering. And he's like, can you believe what I've done? He's posted up his wins. And, and we're like, oh my gosh, God's been so patient. And he can't even get the phrase, he finishes the phrase, rather, and God's like, that's it. You're done. And by God's grace, it wasn't like lightning bolt, wrath, judgment, fury. Remember that furnace you made, Nebuchadnezzar? I also have one. Instead, he's humiliated. And you're like, how is that good news? How is the humiliation good news? Well, when we're walking in pride, we are always one step away from humiliation. And for Nebuchadnezzar, like, like you said with, with God, like sometimes God acts what we think is slowly and sometimes God acts very, very quickly. And in this moment, he's like, I want you to know right away, as you're talking about your glory, I'm still the king. And you, if you want to hold on to your own kingdom, that's fine, but you're going to get exiled from the kingdom of men. Because I created men and women in my image for communion with me, to love one another, to, to actually uh, uh, create and, and to subdue the earth. And, and actually, some of the stuff that you did, but they're to do it like for my, like, like recognizing that there's a creator that they're dependent on. And instead, you, Nebuchadnezzar, I don't even know if we can call you king anymore. Because you're going to be out there in the wilderness. We have a picture, uh, an artist depiction of kind of what this looks like. And so you can kind of see here. Here he is, long hair, fingernails. He's out there with the ox, almost like, or the, you know, the, the cows of the field. And, and it just kind of, it rings a bit like the prodigal son, doesn't it? Like if you know your New Testament, right? The prodigal son, like, like he, he takes everything from his father, kind of does his own thing. And then he ends up in a place of humiliation with the pigs. And it's in that place of humiliation. It's in that place of being brought low that we actually have an opportunity for a pathway to glory. That sometimes when we don't humble ourselves, we need to be humbled. And so we live right now in a world where if you do not affirm the glory of everyone and the majesty of how they see themselves, that you are a threat to their humanity. And yet I was joking about furries, but like we actually have culturally young people saying, no, I'm actually not a human, I'm a cat or I'm a bunny. And, and, and that is, like, eh, it's kind of funny to laugh about. And you're like, what weirdos, right? Like, I don't know if that's you guys, like, hey, we're glad to hear it, right? Like, but, you know, but we're like, this is actually a sign of Old Testament judgment, not an alternative lifestyle. And it's what happens when we walk in pride, that our pride, as we said, becomes beastly before God. And God's it's right to bring us to places of humility. And so my, my hope would be not that when we see people walking in that path that we'd cringe, because I'll just tell you that's, that's my default. I hope it's prayer and press in. Why have you believed the lie that your humanity isn't worthy of celebration? 
that your body is somehow an accident from God rather than something that is to inform and impact your calling in the world. We're to love the bodies that we've been given by God. Like we said, sometimes God acts slow, sometimes he acts quickly. I want to be clear here that for Nebuchadnezzar, the purpose of this humiliation was not condemnation, but conviction of sin. It's that hoping that in humility, in humiliation, that while we're looking down and seeing where we're at, that we realize, okay, there's, there has to be something more than just me. I can't, I, my soul will not stand up to the scrutiny and, and what's needed for me to be the king and queen of my own kingdom. And so it's in this that he goes to this, this period of, of seven years and, and it's, it's him, it, it, God is so quick to give this. And, and what's amazing about this, right, it's sometimes when people are in their lowest where we actually have the greatest opportunity to give them hope that comes with knowing and loving Jesus. And so when you see your friends or even your enemies in low, low places, that's not an opportunity to dunk. It's an opportunity to love them like Daniel loved Nebuchadnezzar and say, my hope for you in this is that this, this humility would, would, would ultimately lead you on a path to glory. It would come from rightly acknowledging who God is and who you are. And so he suffers like this for seven periods of time, it says. That's not, it's probably not seven days, probably not even seven weeks. Um, actually, historically, um, it's believed that Nebuchadnezzar was, was out of the capital for over seven months, driven away by his court, and then finally they, they have to go looking for him. And so like this, I, I know like, like we believe in the Bible, but I just want you to know, like, historically it was known that Nebuchadnezzar went through a period of time like this. And then he comes back. He doesn't come back because, well, you've kind of suffered enough or you've done your penance or, you know, you, you kind of finally got your act together. No, we see what happens when he comes back. Um, last verses in Daniel 4, as we close out, says this, 34 to the end. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven. My reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High. I praised and honored Him who lives forever. His dominion is an everlasting dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. He does according to His will among the host of heaven, among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand and say to Him, What have you done? At the same time, my reason returned to me. For the glory of my kingdom, my majesty and splendor returned to me. My counselors and my Lord sought me. I was established in my kingdom and still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven for all his works are right and his ways are just and those who walk in pride, he is able to humble. Man, it'd be awesome to have Nebuchadnezzar as a guest preacher one, one day, right? I mean, I mean, look at his, he's got the killer testimony. I mean, he's been the worst guy on the planet. And God humbled him, he humiliates him, and at this time, he has a total shift in orientation. 
And that's what we need when we're walking in pride is an orientation away from ourselves. Yes, out to others, but mostly to have our eyes fixed on Jesus, who's the author and perfecter of our faith. There's this redirection that he has that he had been focused on all he had done. And finally it says, I lifted my eyes. But, but really we know the only reason he could lift his eyes up to heaven is because he was brought so low by heaven. We believe that like, if your eyes, your heart, your orientation is moving at all towards Jesus, that is a work of the Holy Spirit in you. That God is the one who saves through his Holy Spirit. That he's the one that can lead us, yes, to places of humiliation, but also on a path that leads to glory. I don't want you to think that life with Jesus is ever easy. Yes, it can and will be difficult. I mean, we're reading about people who are in exile. But no, it's a path that leads to glory. It leads to a forever city that is not built by human hands. And in, in this, like, you know, we're like, oh man, what about the exiles? What about the people that suffered under Nebuchadnezzar? Like, like God restores exiles, and God makes kings exiles so they can be restored. Our God is a God of the exiles, and he's the God of rulers. And I want us to know that God can and does save all types and classes of people. That God saves people that no class or person is beyond the need of God's mercy and that grace is available to all who would humbly receive from Jesus. And so, as we close, as I said that already, we're actually close. <laughs> the pride and humiliation actually end up leading to honor and gratitude. That's the path that Nebuchadnezzar goes down. And I think some of us are like, man, I wish we had more leaders like a Nebuchadnezzar. But what we really need is more of Jesus who is King of Kings and is Lord of Lords. And you can read in Philippians chapter two how Jesus actually willingly went through a path of humiliation coming from the throne room of heaven, being cast out to, to walk among humanity, being sent rather, walks in obedience all the way to the cross. And as we take communion and remember Jesus' body broken and blood shed, this is a, a special small meal for those of us who have been humbled by the Lord enough to say, I need Jesus as my Savior. That Jesus went to that cross and it was the greatest moment of humiliation that the cosmos have ever imagined because this isn't just like some leader or some great dude. This is the king of kings. This is the one who spoke the world into existence and now he's being murdered by his creation. And he walks in a path of humility and humiliation that leads to a tomb, that leads to an exit from the tomb, leads to an ascension back to the throne room and leaves us with a promise that he'll be with us always to the end of the age so that we can walk in humility, we can repent, we can receive honor and walk the path that God has for us. We simply trust Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are good to us. You are good for us. Lord, I pray that in our moments of humiliation, our moments of being brought low, that we'd be able to, to be led and cared for and had friends um, and, and even enemies like Daniel 
God, who have compassion for us. Lord, that we could say like Nebuchadnezzar of our greatest struggles and, and times where we've been brought low, God, that you are for us. Lord, that you maybe even allowed these things to happen for us so we'd become to places of humility so that our pride could die with you on the cross so that we could be risen to new life now and forever. Lord, I don't know the spiritual condition of the people in this room, but you do. Lord, I don't know the spiritual condition of all of our friends and coworkers and neighbors and families and, and opponents and, and people we can't stand, but you do. So Holy Spirit, give us a heart for the lost. Holy Spirit, give humility to the lost. Holy Spirit, give humility to your people so that we can be humble, confident ambassadors of your kingdom, calling a world that desperately needs to cast their crowns down to become members of your kingdom through allegiance, not to themselves, but to you, Jesus. It's in his name we pray.